morning, everybody. Hey, I'm really glad you're here today. What a nice day to be here. If you are here for the first time, let me add my welcome. I would love to meet you after service. Just catch me wherever I happen to be hanging out and just tell me who you are. And um, I'd just love to get to know you a little bit better. And uh, if you are here for the first time or first couple of times, we just always pray for you. We're here for everybody in this community who needs to get connected to God and each other in the community through Jesus. And we just think that God's doing amazing things here, and we feel blessed to be a part of it, and we'd love for you to be a part of it. So just keep coming and see what God's wanting to do in your life and say to you and encounter him in your own way. Uh, if you are a person who prays, why don't you pray for our teenagers and especially for their sponsors who are now in Oklahoma City doing a youth camp and service project all week, Camp Genesis. So they'll be back next Friday. And so you pray for them to be safe and for them to do great work and represent connection well and to you know, represent Jesus well. So in terms of the internet, I got a question for you. A survey just came out from SimilarWeb. They figured out what the top websites are in the United States according to traffic. I'm curious, what would you say? Just shout them out. What do you think are the highest web traffic websites in the United States? Google, Amazon, eBay, YouTube, Facebook. You guys are good. You guys know your internet. <laughs> Let me go through. Here's the, let's go to the top five. Number one, you can check your work. It's all on the honor system. Number one is Google, duh. Facebook, number two, YouTube, somebody said that. Number three, number four, Amazon. I am puzzled by number five, Yahoo. That's still a thing. <laughs> I didn't know it existed, but apparently it does, and apparently a whole lot of us are going there because it's number five. Now, here's the thing. The next three most popular websites in the United States in terms of traffic, I cannot, I'm not going to say what they are because they're porn sites. Number six, seven, and eight are all porn sites. Though, considering the amount of traffic that's going there, you probably already know what they're called. <laughs> there you go. That's, uh, they beat out websites like Wikipedia, eBay, Reddit, Craigslist, Twitter, Instagram. The, they came in in terms of traffic behind these websites. So that's life in 2018. And that's why we're doing this series called Still Deadly. <laughs> Here we go. Uh, we're looking at what's known as the seven deadly sins. If you were to take your Bible and just go, okay, where is that verse that says these are the seven deadly sins? It doesn't exist like there are verses that say these are the Ten Commandments. What people have done, the seven deadly sins are in the Bible. They're just not one verse. People have just said, hey, what are the most common ways that people devastate and derail their life? The ways that people hinder their future potential, the ways that people poison their relationships, maybe even shipwreck their faith and harm their soul. And that's the seven deadliest sins that people have come up with over time. Today we're talking about lust. There's an old story about a young seminary student studying to be a minister. He's at the college or the seminary. And he was uh, struggling, so he decided to go to an older professor who was just known to be very wise and gave great advice and very accepting. And so he went to him and he said, look, um, I'm really trying to honor God with my life and I'm having a really hard time keeping my mind out of the gutter. Can you give me some advice? Because I really, as a ministry student, think this is kind of important. And so this professor was just very, um, you know, helpful and he was very compassionate. And at one point the student just said, okay. At what point is this not going to be a problem for me anymore? And the seminary professor said, well, I'd say 82, which is how old the seminary professor was who was giving the advice. You know, this professor is just being honest and transparent. Who is lust a problem for? Well, apparently, if you are young or if you're old, if you're male or female, if you are single or if you're married, if you're attracted to the opposite sex or same-sex attracted. Basically, if you have a pulse and you are breathing, 
this is an issue for you. You're going to have to deal with lust. This is for everyone. Welcome to Connection today. <laughs> As I said, though, when we go through this series, we're not about punching people in the face. We're just about saying, here, let's look at honestly how life is, and let's see what we do with this. The truth is even the most devoted followers of Jesus have to think about this, and no one is exempt from getting caught up in lust and all that entails from that, whatever it is. Mark Golly is an author, Christian author, editor of Christianity Today. He talked about a friend of his in one of his books. And um, before I go any further about his friend, I'm sure he got permission from his friend to share this. But his friend was being very honest with him about his struggles with lust. The guy was a committed Christian, an elder in his church, Mark's friend. He was just what everybody thought of as authentic and genuine and uh, just a great guy, great example and at the same time, he once confided into Mark with Mark that he enjoyed looking at porn and didn't see any problem with it. He'd rationalized it in his mind. He'd thought it through. He'd studied the scriptures, and he just thought that God was okay with it, and that's the conclusion he came to. And Mark listened to him as a good friend. He also was like, are you sure this is consistent with your faith? And the guy said, look, I've thought it every way from Sunday. It's not affecting my marriage. I'm not addicted. And Mark said, I didn't think he was, and you know, he's, he's a good Christian man. Um, and But the guy said, same time, even though I've told myself and I've convinced myself a thousand ways from Sunday this is okay, I still feel guilty sometimes. And he thought maybe it was because he was brought up ultra-conservative, and he's like, uh, you know, but I've left a lot of that stuff behind that I was brought up with. Like, but now, as an adult, I don't feel guilty when I go to movies or when I drink wine, but I still do feel guilty about this porn thing, even though I think it's okay. And Mark said, well, you think maybe the Holy Spirit's trying to tell you it's not good for you? And the guy said, you know, I know if God tells me not to engage in looking at porn, that he's got my best interest at heart, but it just freaks me out when I think about just giving it up. Sounds to me like a guy who maybe knows what he needs to do. Sounds to me like maybe a lot of us would be wise to think about if lust is as deadly as the Bible says it is, we need to think about why that is. Why does God say this is off limits or this is something you need to be careful about? Uh, why, why is it that God says there's some things you need to say no to? But then I guess the question for me is, and this seems like an obvious question, but maybe we ought to just go ahead and ask what is exactly lust because we may, we may not even understand what it is. I want to go back to the Bible, first of all, and just say, okay, scripturally speaking, what does the Bible say about this? This may surprise you. You may think, okay, I know where lust is, I know where the line is, but biblically it may be a surprise to you. If you've got one of these or if you've got the Bible app, if you go to Genesis in your Bible, let's start there. By the way, if you want to look like a rock star Bible scholar, this is the easiest thing in the Bible you can find because it's on page one. You just go to, look, I found it. There it is. And um, let me just go ahead and say, if you've got one of the worship folders today, there are a lot of scriptures on there, and I know that. And if you're newer to the Bible, don't feel like you have to keep up. That's okay. The scriptures are on the screen, and you can take that worship flyer home and practice. You go back and try to find it in a paper version of the Bible or practice using the Version app and go back and read the verses we talk about. But I'm going to start at the very beginning of all things, Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. This is the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth. It says there, the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. One human being on the planet, his name's Adam, it's not good for him to be alone. I will make a helper who's just right for him. You go on down to verse 21, on down through verse 24, it describes how God caused Adam to fall into a deep sleep. And then it describes how God, in this surgical procedure, took one of his ribs, took his DNA, and fashioned the first woman out of Adam's DNA. And then woke Adam up and said, Merry Christmas. <laughs> Here you go. This is your wife. And in verse 25, it says, Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. 
this is the biblical context for us. You can write this down. You heard it at church. God created sexual desire, and he called it good. One of the great things that God created, which is just an indicator, another indicator of how far our culture has fallen away from God, that the words we typically associate with desire are things like sin and shame and guilt. That's not how God created it. He created this very good thing, and who do you think thought up all the biology and the chemistry behind attraction and desire and excitement? It's not like we hacked the system. It's not like God's going, what in the world are they doing? What? Who in the world? No, he made that stuff up. So we have to start there as the foundation. This is something that's good. It's a gift from God that he gave it. So when you notice that someone looks good or smells nice or has a pleasant voice, whatever, that's just being human. When you notice and enjoy beauty, that's just evidence that you're alive, that you've got a pulse, and you're breathing. This is something God made. Desire is just one of the many good things that God created and gave to us. So you know it when you feel it. You miss it when you don't, or so I'm told. It makes you feel alive. Yeah, I think we ought to be thankful for the thrill of holding hands or a kiss or, you know, locking eyes with person you care about across the room you know what you're thinking it's just it's a thing that God gave us it's beautiful now here's the surprising thing for a lot of people lust is very closely related to desire in fact I would say it's almost like two sides of the same coin write this down the Bible warns us against lust because lust is undisciplined and uncontrolled desire there's no checks on it this is lust is what happens when you don't put the brakes on desire uh, for one thing, just you can write this down, lust is desire that you don't put any limits on. There's no limitations to it. That sometimes you can desire the wrong things. Sometimes you can desire the wrong person at the wrong time, the wrong context, which is, this is, um, when we talk about the relationship between lust and desire, this is very similar to what we talked about with our first deadly sin last week of pride, because we all acknowledge pride can be a good thing, right? You can, you can take um, great satisfaction in doing a job well, you can have joy at doing something well or somebody else accomplished something and you're just thrilled for them. That's a good pride. Pride becomes deadly when it gets amplified to the point where you take all the credit for everything and you push God, as Brian Wilkerson says, uh, off the stage. And you, like everything I accomplish is because I'm so great and so wonderful. And pride gets amplified and it gets exaggerated and it becomes unhealthy. In the same way, evil lust that the Bible condemns is what happens when you just let desire have free reign. When you just let it go whatever you want. There's no limits to where you let your mind wander. So it, it's a good thing just given no boundaries or limitations at all. When you don't say, hey, maybe God said don't go there. Do any of you have pets at home? We have a pet. We love our Rosie. Who, who actually has a pet and you love your pet, right? So when you bring a pet home, what is the first thing you should do when you bring a puppy or kitten into your house? As Caesar Milan says, rules, boundaries, and limitation. You better train that dog. You better train that cat, or you're going to come home. If you're a dog owner and you don't train your dog, you're going to come home to something like this. You ever come home to something like that? If you don't train your cat how to use the litter box, you're going to come home to something like this. <laughs> poor, poor hamster. And heaven help you if you have not trained your big dog before you go on a walk. This might happen. Oh! That is not real, trust me. It's not real, but that does happen. <laughs> All right. So this is, this is from the Bible. This is from James chapter 1, verse 14. It says, where does temptation come? Temptation comes from our own 
desires, our own, literally the word there in, in the original language is lust, which these desires entice us, they drag us away like that poor woman. These desires, this lust gives birth to sinful actions, and when sin's allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Man, we have seen some disturbing examples of this this year. Let me just say some names, and you just tell, you don't even have to say it out loud, just what comes to your mind when I say Harvey Weinstein, Kevin Spacey, Matt Lauer, Charlie Rose, Anthony Weiner, Russell Simmons, Eric Greitens, Bill Cosby. Do you think any of those guys set out at the beginning of their career and said, you know what, my aspiration is to just completely trash my reputation, hurt the people that love me the most, to just destroy what people think about me and bring dishonor and pain and, and to my life and everyone else's life by doing unspeakably wrong things to the people I have power over? Did anybody just say, hey, that's where I, that's my plan. I've got a 10-point action steps here. No. I know these are extreme examples, but this is the natural outcome of anyone who does not keep their desire in check and allows it to become what the Bible describes as lust. And the common element, I would say, for all of these guys and anyone else is that, first of all, they didn't either know or they didn't care about what James talked about, where lust and desire begins and what it does in your life. Then secondly, even knowing that, they did not bring discipline into their sexuality and their desire. They just allowed it to run amok. Whatever came to their minds eventually showed itself in their life, which is how it works. Everything that eventually we do in our lives started as a thought, or maybe even before that started in our heart. And so the, the idea and the biblical teaching is, let's deal with this. If you're a Christian, in fact, let me give you some biblical counsel and advice. This is Romans chapter 6, verse 12. If you're not a Christian, you don't have to do this. I'd say it would be very wise, but if you are a Christian, man, this is for you. It says, don't let sin control the way you live. You're in charge, which actually Jesus is in charge, not your sinful nature. Don't give in to sinful desires. This is a great verse, Titus 2.12. Same guy who wrote the Romans verse wrote this. He said, Jesus, the grace of Jesus, teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. And then it teaches us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Now, a different Christian leader, Peter, wrote this, 1 Peter 1.14. You must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old way of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. What you do now? Now, I want to go back to Titus 2.12. It may or may not be on the screen, but I just, I love how encouraging this verse is, and you ought to also. This is one that's good to memorize if you are interested in doing that, because it reminds us that one of the things Jesus wants to do for you when you become one of his students, his followers, his disciples, a Christian, is he wants to teach you how to live right. And you think about teaching, isn't it a process does any good teacher get mad at you and slap you around the first time you don't do something correctly? Like, did you learn soccer the first time you tried to kick a ball? Probably not. If you were, then you wouldn't be here. You'd be <laughs> playing pro ball. Uh, did you learn to drive a car the first day your parents took you out? Or, Yeah, it, it takes a little work. You hit a few curbs. You, you do. What about when you're, like, learning math? Do you just figure that out on day one? No, there's so many things. Uh, did you ever master a video game the first time you play it? If you do, it's not a very good video game. It's like boring. It's, we learn over time, and Jesus teaches us over time to say no to ungodly passions. So while I'm not trying to give you a pass, don't beat yourself up if lust is something you struggle with. Jesus can teach you over time to get better at this, to become more self-controlled and upright and godly. And he's a very patient teacher in my experience. And so he'll teach us this. So here, the first thing I was just talking about, you can kind of recap this. 
desire without limitations becomes lust. Here's another thing. You can write this down if you want. Lust is desire that's been given free reign in the wrong context. You know, let me I'll tell you a story to explain what I mean by this. Lust is in the wrong context. So I was at High Hill Christian Camp down the road, down Interstate 70. I was a middle school student, junior high boy. One of the classes they made us take was uh, love, sex, and dating, which being junior high boys was fascinating embarrassing and boring all at the same time some of you remember what it's like to be a junior high boy some of you are right now um yeah so we're in this class the teacher it was all guys no girls and a guy teacher he did the best he could with what he was working with but come on like i was probably the prime example of what was in the class so he had his work cut out for him every day he would try to teach us something and all we were thinking about is is it time to go eat lunch is it time to go swimming and then at the end of one class he said okay any questions and that's the cue for no one in this room better raise their hand. One of the guys in the room raised his hand. And we're like, what are you doing? It's time to go eat lunch. And he, he said, I got a question. And he asked a really good question, which was shocking to all of us because it was the first intelligent thing he'd said all week. First intelligent thing any of us had said all week. He asked the question, okay, so I get it, lust is wrong, but what if I get married and lust after my wife? Is God going to be mad at me? And we were all like, ooh, that's a good question. And swimming was out of our mind. Now, to you, it may seem like an obvious answer, but to us, it wasn't. Like, what if we lust after our wives? <laughs> Is God going to be upset with that? So the guy, I don't remember what the teacher said, but I remember the gist of it. It was awesome. He said, guys, that is what God made lust and desire for. In the context of your marriage, if you're both good with it, everything goes, whatever you want. He created you to appreciate your wife or your husband, your spouse. That's what it's there for. It's the right place, time, person. It's all about that. And that's what I'm saying when I say lust is desire that's given free reign in the wrong context. There is a right context. Here's the interesting thing. If you're reading through your Bible, depending on what translation of the English Bible you're reading, you may come across the word lust or desire or strong longing. The original New Testament of our Bible was actually written in Greek. And so it takes somebody who knows Greek and English to translate it into English for us. The fascinating thing about it is when you read the Greek and you actually know it, there's one word for good desire and bad lust, and the person who's translating into English has to make the decision about what English word to use. I'll give you a couple of examples. The day before Jesus died, he looked at the men who were his closest followers, and he said to them, guys, I have eagerly desired to eat this meal with you tonight. The last meal Jesus ate before he died. The same word that we get lust in the English language from, but it obviously doesn't mean that there. Another time, a Christian leader named Paul was writing to a group of people in a church that he actually started a church. He baptized a lot of them, and he had to leave unexpectedly. He was very worried about them, and it's a, he wrote a letter to them, and it's in your Bible. It's called First Thessalonians, and he told them, uh, you know, I, I tried very hard to come back and see you because of my intense longing to see you again. I was worried about your faith. Same word. So desire. It's really the context, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. It's whether it's appropriate or not. So desire becomes lust when you allow it to continue in the wrong context. Uh, it's not the desire itself necessarily. Sometimes you can desire something you shouldn't, but a lot of times it's context. Which I love what Jesus talks about when he talks about this, because he just always has a way of cutting right to the point. Smartest guy who ever lived. Jesus said this, Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. He said, you've heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. 
that's like one of the Ten Commandments. He's saying, you guys know the Ten Commandments. Don't commit adultery. But then Jesus says, I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, that's, Jesus said it gender-specific, but that obviously can go in any direction. You look at anyone with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery, even if you don't actually do it, because it happened up here. It's about the right place, right time, and where you allow your mind to go. It's about context. So a friend of mine recently posted this to Facebook. He, he said, I never really believed the people who said we all eventually turn into our fathers, but then he posted this selfie. This selfie, my friend who said, I never believed I'd turn into my dad until I actually found myself wearing this. <clears throat> That's awful. We're going to go ahead and leave that up there for a second, just so you can enjoy that. My sister, a few years ago, gave me a birthday card, and on the front, it had a picture of a different guy. I think we got that guy, too. Do we have that guy? Okay. Well, you just imagine a guy wearing this. Oh, there he is. Yeah, my sister, who loves me, but who will never be as old or as mature as me. He gave me this birthday card and said, do you know why old guys wear socks and sandals and shorts? And you open the card and it says, I don't either, but you're one you're closer to finding out. <laughs> Go ahead and leave that guy up there because you need this. Black socks, is there anything wrong with black socks? No, as long as you're wearing black shoes and black dress pants. Black socks with sandals, don't do that. It's, it's about context. And I'm getting old enough that I kind of know why old guys do that. It's just you just don't care. You know it doesn't work. You just don't care anymore. So, But this is how helpful we are to you here at Connection. If you're having problems with lust, just think old guys, socks, and sandals. There you go. You're welcome. <laughs> Bring that to your mind. Lust is allowing desire to continue taking place in your thought and your mind, even though it's somebody you're not married to. It's the wrong context. There's no restraint. There's no self-control. And this is so harmful because what are you doing when you envision someone else in your mind that you shouldn't. In a sense, you're treating them as an object, not as another human being with a soul, someone whom God loves. You're demeaning them. You're demeaning yourself. It's not going to draw you into that special relationship that God has in mind for you. It's unhealthy for your mind. It is deadly to your relationship with God. I read somewhere, I don't know who said this, but I love it. Lust is craving salt while dying of thirst. Not real helpful. Pastor Andy Stanley said it this way. This is just quote him. He said, lust or desire is an appetite. It's not going away, no matter how spiritual you are or how committed you are or how much you pray or how much you try to avoid tempting situations. You just, you carry this appetite within you. So it's not so much a problem to solve or a battle to win or an enemy to destroy as it is an appetite that you manage, that you keep within appropriate bounds. So I guess my question would be, how do you do that? That's where I need to wrap this up and try to make it positive and uh, helpful. Every week, we've not only just said we're going to look at the deadly sin, we're not just going to punch ourselves in the face every week. We want to say, well, what is the alternate? What's the life-giving virtue that supplants that? And then we're also trying to figure out how do we move from one to the other. You may already know this, but love is the virtue that supplants lust in your mind. You might think it might be something like purity or charity, which some people do put that on their list. I think that love is more all-encompassing. Because if you think about it, when if, if you do get married or if you already are married, you committed in front of God and other people that you would love that other person, which literally means I will put your interests ahead of my own. I will sacrifice of myself to take care of you. Uh, and if it costs me everything, I will still take care of you over me. And lust does the opposite. It's all about me, and it's about what you can do for me. So I think this is a great thought to carry with us, that we want to embrace love, not lust. 
Uh, there's a great verse in the Bible. Ephesians 5, 2 says this. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. And then it tells us how Christ showed his love. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice. Literally gave up his life for us. A pleasing aroma to God. And then Paul, who wrote this immediately, goes on, verse 3, is the application. So here you go. Let there be no sexual immorality, no impurity, no greed should be among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. And verse 4, obscene stories, foolish talk, coarse jokes, they're not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You need to pay attention here for a second. If you are a Christian, if you're a connection Christian, we just, the, the instruction is very clear. We have a zero-tolerance policy for sexual immorality. It has no place in your life. It shouldn't be there. It's like an alcoholic who just realizes it comes to the point, I can't even have one drink because that one drink goes to places that I should never go. So if I don't start, then I don't have to worry about it. And for us, the same way, there should not even be a hint. There shouldn't be anything where somebody goes, I think there's something funny going on there. I don't know what it is. If that's going on, it's time to change the perception, which Again, I want to get very practical. It leads me to a couple of habits that I would suggest if you want to move from lust to love. I don't just walk out here going, I should be more loving, but I don't know what to do. Two things, actually, today. This is your homework. And they're pretty easy. Easy to say, hard to do, maybe. Fasting and feasting. Let's talk about fasting. Nuts and bolts of fasting is just giving up something for a time, for a reason. Bob Russell's a pastor, uh, author, great guy. He says when he was a teenager, his mom had a rule, and maybe some of you had this rule, don't ever bring your girlfriend to the house when no one's home. And he'd always say, mom, why? Don't you trust me? And she'd always say, no, actually I don't. That's too great of a temptation. And um, she, she didn't say, you know, it looks bad. She didn't say, well, I trust you, but I don't trust that girl. She didn't do any of that. She said, no, I just, it's too much temptation. And Bob said, I'd always act like I was really hurt. My mom doesn't trust me. But he walked away and he'd go, my mom's actually pretty smart because that's actually what I had in mind. And then he says, I probably wouldn't have been a pastor if I'd got away with some of the things that I had in my mind. And it's a good realization. There are some times where you just have to fast and say no to some things. Second Timothy 2.22, Paul said this to another young pastor, but I think it applies to all of us. Run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. When you talk about fasting, if porn is something that's been a part of your life and you've been okay with it, I would ask you to consider that maybe that's something you should fast from, to say no to, to let go of. I think God's got better things in mind for you than that, honestly. And if you would like a resource that you can go to, I know this is very gender-specific, but ladies, you could probably find this to be very helpful too. But if you go to the Art of Manliness blog, uh, Brett Mackay, he and his wife write some amazing articles. They have a whole series of articles about how to quit porn, and it's really helpful. I've got the link on your bulletin, so sometimes you want to go there and read those. I think they'd be really helpful to you uh, just to say, I'm going to fast. There's some areas in my life I'm going to let go of, I'm going to say no to, I'm going to let Jesus teach me to say no to this because I want to say yes to some good things, which is the other side of that. Not only fasting moves you from here to here, feasting. You think about it this way. Uh, you know, Paul just told us we should run away from anything that stimulates youthful lust, but he also says you ought to pursue righteous living. You ought to pursue relationships with other people, enjoy the companionship of those who love the Lord. So there's some things you can uh, feed on. Like, have you ever, you ever been on a road trip and you're just starving? You stop at a gas station and the food in there is just garbage, but you're so hungry you just say yes to it anyway? Like that piece of crusty chicken that probably was cooked in the Nixon administration, and it's under the heat lamp, and you go, I'll do that because I'm hungry. 
when you pull the pack of donuts off the shelf and you have to blow the dust off to see what the expiration date is. But when you're hungry, you say yes to all kinds of stuff. You would never eat if you weren't hungry, if you'd already had a really decent meal, you had some good food in the car. Part of what we want to do is just fill our minds and our hearts and our lives with good things that supplants and pushes out and crowds out the things that shouldn't be there. You need a meal. Let me give you a few things that you should feast on. Write these down. This is good. Feast on beauty. God made us to enjoy and appreciate beauty, and you ought to feast on it, the right kind of beauty. Uh, Brian Wilkerson's pastor, he said this, we take delight in the human body because it's beautiful to behold, but so is a sunset or a Rembrandt or a tastefully appointed home, a well-tailored suit, a string quartet, a crocus pushing its way up to the soil. His advice is learn to feast on the beauty in the world around you. Take a walk, go to a museum, watch a good film. Our senses were made to be stimulated by beautiful sights and sounds and smells, and our God-made world is full of them, isn't it? Maybe you start thinking about all the good things that God has given us. Coffee, chocolate, beautiful sunsets, beautiful people, music. There's just so many good things that you can feast on. And the Bible is really clear about this. Here's another verse. I told you there's a lot today. Philippians 4.8 talks about feasting your minds. It says, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what's true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, admirable. Things that, think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. So basically anything you see on MSNBC or Fox News, that's all that, right? You know, maybe you need to fast from that for a while, whatever it's doing to your heart. Find beautiful, true, godly, noble things. Read good stories that tell you that there's courage and there's nobility in the world. That's the stuff you should fill your mind with, and it'll push the other stuff out. Feast on relationships. Man, there's, if you feel like you're lonely, which that's the story of about 360 million Americans right now. We're just way isolated, more than we should be. You need friends, which everybody does. You're among a great church family. Stick around, grab a cup of coffee, and start talking to some people. Because even if you don't think you need it, there's probably somebody else who does. I can never have too many friends, personally. So feast on that. Find people. Go sit on your front porch and actually get to know your neighbors before they pull in and shut the garage door, you know? This is what God has made us for. And I guess one last thing I tell you. Feast on God's grace. Because there is really nothing that we can accomplish of great good in our lives without God's help. At least that's been my experience. That's probably been the experience of millions of Christians just to say every good thing that came into my life came through God. So probably the wisest thing we could do is just to ask Jesus for help, whether it's this or it's anything else that you're struggling with or you don't know what to do with or you just need some advice on, you ought to be taking this to God. And I'm going to pray right now for us. And um, I just, I give you permission like you need it anyway. But when I'm talking to God right now, will you just have a conversation with him as well? And just be very open maybe to what he is that he's trying to say to you this morning. And ask, God, is this something I need to do something with? Uh, and can you help me? So let's just pray together.